ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm so very, very happy to have you all with us on this Thursday night. And just like all week long, we have another, another great guest for you. About 15 minutes from now, we're going to have the great Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, will be joining us live to talk about the Negroes Baseball Leagues and everything else going on around baseball today. So it's definitely an interview you definitely want to see. I see lots and lots and lots of people coming on. Want to know, I want to thank all these groups that are coming on right now. See the Kansas City Royals, the New York Met fans, Arizona Diamondback fans, everybody coming on. Thank you so very much for joining us this evening. Want to let you know, this is an interactive show. Fortunately, to be interactive for you, you have to be a member of Frankly Speaking Sports. Doesn't mean you can't watch the show. Just in the future, if you want to interact and leave comments, you just need to be a member of Frankly Speaking Sports. But as far as our phone hotline, that is open to everyone, and we do an interactive show after the interview tonight, where you can call us on our phone line. The phone line is there. Talk to us about any issues in the world of sports. You may be on from a different baseball group, a different fan group. That's fine. We talk all about different sports here. So I want you to be interactive. Also want to ask you all for a very big favor. I do this on every show those of you that are regulars know this. It'll take you one second. I need your help, and I'm asking for your help. If you could take one moment and just share this on your timeline, this show, so you, all of your friends could have the opportunity to watch this great, great show, great, great interview, just like you are able to tonight. It only takes a minute. Please go ahead and share it. It'll take one second. If I can get just one of your friends to listen, and I know you all have more than one friend, but if one of your friends listen, it, it, it would be a great, 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 you know, honor for me to have you do that. Now, we're going to start off with some news today, um, and then we're going to do something. We're going to talk about a couple of people that missed uh, the Hall of Fame. I'm going to run a contest tonight and see if you can guess the last player that I would have listed. Now, before we get in the news, I'm going to give you a hint. There is a player that should be in the Hall of Fame in baseball that is not in the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to give hints throughout this show. And after the interview with Bob Kendrick, we'll see who the winning guest is and we'll get them a surprise. Okay? So you can leave it right here under the comment section. Let me know you're here. Say hello. I am so fired up for this show tonight. And the first hint on the player that should be in the Hall of Fame. He played three decades in the major leagues. Okay? He started in the 70s, played in the 80s, and also played in the 90s. And it was not a pitcher. So, let your guests start coming and we'll keep giving you hints throughout. Now, before the interview, I'm going to name a couple of players that I think should be in the Hall of Fame. There's going to be a total of four. The fourth one, I'm not going to give you. I'm going to let you guess. So we already said 
He played in three decades from the 70s to the 90s. And he played for five different teams. One of those teams being the Milwaukee Brewers. So, there's your hint so far. Now, for those of you just joining us, want to thank you very much um, for joining us. We have a great, great interview for you tonight, just like we do again tomorrow night. The great Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, will be joining us live. And what an unbelievable time to have him on the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues is this week. And we get him on. Unbelievable. Now, for those of you basketball fans, um, I do want to go ahead and report a little bit of information. I got it right here. That nine more NBA players, nine more, have contracted the COVID-19 virus, which brings the total to 25 of the players of the 351 players that have tested have now come back positive. Now, out of the staff members that were tested, only, and I say only, only 10 of 884 have tested positive. So I just wanted to get that news out to you that the total is up to 25 players, 10 staff people in the NFL. And in Major League Baseball, the New York Mets announced today that Chili Davis, their great hitting coach, will not participate at the beginning of the season. He is going to actually work from home and try to watch films and try to go ahead and any way he can help the team. But, you know, Chili's 60 years old. He's in that age group that is very dangerous. And I don't know if it was his decision. Well, at the end of the day, it was his decision. But him and the New York Mets and... Uh, the New York Mets manager, Luis Rojas, they all decided that this was in the best interest of Chili Davis. I see numbers and numbers and numbers of you joining us right now. Thank you so very much. Once again, if you can please share this to your timeline, it'll help me out immensely. Um, just do that. Uh, take a moment, just hit the share button. I want to get as many people as possible. We want to break records tonight here on Frankly Speaking Sports. Now, we talked about, I'm giving you hints, there's one particular individual that played in the major leagues from, 19, from the 70s to the 90s that should be in the Hall of Fame who was, I guess you can call it snubbed, and was not put in the Hall of Fame. And please leave a message. Uh, let me know if you can guess who it is. The first hint was he played three decades. One of the five teams he played for was the Milwaukee Brewers. Another one team he played for was the California Angels. So, right now, there's other hints. He played for the Brewers, played for the Angels, and played for three decades. Now, I'm going to start out why we got about seven minutes before Bob Kendrick comes on. The first guy that I think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and it's a damn, damn shame, in my opinion, that this guy has yet to make it to the Hall of Fame, and obviously he has to be a write-in, or whatever they call it, from the baseball writers, but I think it's a travesty, and I think New York Yankee fans will agree with me, that catcher and former captain Thurman Munson is not in the Hall of Fame. 
Thurman Munson was a great catcher. He was the rookie of the year in 1970. He was a seven-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winning catcher, um, and he was the 1976 AL MVP, plus he won two World Championships. How Thurman Munson doesn't make the Hall of Fame is beside me. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I'm a firm believer, and I said this before, that I believe the players who previously played in Major League Baseball should have a right to vote who goes into the Hall of Fame. I don't think it should just be writers. These are the guys that have played with these guys, have watched them, competed against them, and I think they should have definitely a say who goes into the Hall of Fame. That's number one. Number two, Gary Sheffield, the guy from Tampa, played with so many teams, including the New York Mets, including the Brewers, and so on and so on and so on. Gary Sheffield, you know, he had an... 292 batting average, which is respected, but he's hit over 500 homers. And usually to get into the Hall of Fame, the threshold on home runs is 500. Now understand when I name these players, guys, I'm not talking about players like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmeiro, the ones who have been indicted into, you know, with PEDs. Now I do agree you know, I think those guys should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's a whole nother topic for another whole day. We did a show on that a couple of months ago, and we'll probably do another show coming up in the near future. Also, another player I believe should be in the Hall of Fame. Philadelphia Philly fans will agree with me if you're on. Diamondback fans, I know you're on there. I love you to death. Thank you very much. Say hello, please. Please, people. I don't see any comments in the comment section. Say hello. Love to hear you. Remember, if you're on another platform and I'm frankly speaking sports, that's okay. You're watching this show. You're enjoying the show. But I don't see your comments. So if you leave a comment, don't think I'm ignoring you. It's just that it takes it from the home area where the show is being put on first. So just say hello, let me know you're here, love to say hello back to you and let the fans know you're on the show. But Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling was a great pitcher. He had a 3.46 ERA, okay? 3.46 ERA, and he struck out over 3,000 batters. Now how this guy is not in the Hall of Fame is another one that's besides me. You know, Kurt Schilling had a great career, was one of the most dominant pitches of his time. You know, you got to remember, Kurt Schilling pitched at a time with you had some damn great pitches. I mean, you had Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, just to name a few. And there was Kurt Schilling, and Kurt Schilling held his own with all of those pitches. So I believe Kurt Schilling. Now, going back, why we got about three minutes before Bob Kendrick comes on, um, there is a player I think should be in the Hall of Fame. We gave some hints already. He played for the Brewers. He played for the Angels. And he played for three other teams. Now, I'm not going to make this easy. Okay? Now, we said that. He played for the Brewers. He played for the Angels. He played three decades from the 70s to 90s. 
Um, he was one of the most feared sluggers in the league, in both American and National League, okay? And he was a three-time Gold Glove winning right fielder, okay? So I'm going to give hints, and we'll announce who that is after the interview we have with Bob Kendrick. But um, also some quick news out of um, Washington, D.C., and we're not going to take long on it, but Federal Express has announced that they want the Washington Redskins to change their name. PepsiCo is already threatening to go ahead and lose, you know, take their sponsorship away. And the ironic thing about the Redskins is that one of the, the CEO of Federal Express is a part owner, I think 10% share, in the Washington Redskins. That's Frederick Smith. And he um, is the CEO of Federal Express, and they're now saying, and they named the stadium Federal Express Stadium there over at where um, the Redskins play. So a lot of trouble seeking right now. And if you know, obviously, Redskin is a, is a slang for, uh, or, you know, not a great word for Native uh, American Indians. So it's a very uh, sensitive topic there in Washington, D.C., where the Redskins are going to have to make the decision. Snyder says, Daniel Snyder says, there's no way in you-know-what that he's changing the name. He's out to lose. Now, remember, Federal Express pays $205 million to have their name on that stadium. So there's a lot of uh, debating and uh, you know communication that's going to have to go on between those two sides there. And once again, you know, Frederick Smith is a part owner of the Washington Redskins. So it would be very interesting to see what happens there. We're just moments away from having Bob Kendrick on the phone. I'm going to look up his number right now, and we'll get Bob right on the phone here. Let me do that. As I do that now, looking for the number. Let me see. Bob, there he is. Let's give him a quick call and get him on the line. Years ago, 
And, and so all those plans had to be kind of moved into 2021. And so we just reopened the museum two weeks ago, as a matter of fact. So we were closed for three months. So it's had a tremendous impact. Right, and I know me and my wife, you know, we don't live, we only live about three hours from Kansas City. We went up there, it was more like three, four weeks ago, and you were closed because I really wanted to go see the museum. Um, explain to our listeners what type of experience to expect if they, I mean, we know it's not the, it's not a Hall of Fame. We know it's the Negro League Museum. What type of experience should they expect when they go into this museum? Well, I think for those who may have in their mind that it's going to be somewhat sad or somber, because I think people can relate to the fact that this is against the backdrop of American segregation, which was certainly a horrible chapter in this country's history, but the story that we share is a celebration. It is a celebration of what these athletes were able to do in the face of tremendous social adversity. And so you're going to get a glimpse at America at her worst, but you're also going to witness America at her triumphant best. And it's just seen through this wonderful lens of those who just overcame tremendous adversity to play the game that they love. And I think that's what makes the story so compelling, so awe-inspiring, and while people have been so drawn to it once they've been introduced to it. Now, of course, you're going to meet some of the greatest baseball players to ever play this game. Right. You know, make no, make no mistake about it. The, guy, the, the, the players who played in the Negro League could have played in any league. Yeah, and I agree, and that was uh, my point is, there was some great, and I was just going to get to that. You, I was great that you led me right into it. Is there was not only great, great, great baseball players that played in the Negro Leagues, but some argue will argue the point that they were better than the players that actually played in the major leagues at that time. And for that reason, and I know that there's roughly 35 uh, players from the Negro Leagues in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but has it ever been put out there about maybe uh, having a Negro League Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, you know, when we first started the museum, there was some inkling about why not do a Negro League Hall of Fame. But the late, great Buck O'Neill, my dear friend and co-founder of the Negro League Baseball Museum, he just felt very passionately and wholeheartedly that there had been enough separation in the game of baseball. And, and if you were good enough, you deserve to be in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. The National Baseball Hall of Fame is the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and it's not. It is the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and of course, most of the folks who are included are those who played in the Major League. But both just believe that there's been enough separation. And, and so as a result, we advocate on behalf of those great players. We advocate on behalf of those great players uh, in hopes that they will one day be recognized in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And then the other thing that, you know, you kind of have to be reminded of is the fact that there was a finite piece of history. There, you know, there's no Negro League history being made. And so what happens when you've inducted, you know, all the players who deserve to be in your Hall of Fame? And so instead, we went down the path of doing a museum. 
So let me start. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. I apologize. No, 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 that's okay. I'm out. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I hear you fine now. Um, let me ask you this. And I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised there's even a debate about this, but I want to get your opinion on this. You know, I look at Satchel Page, and I, I look at all the great, you know, players that played in the Negroes leagues. I mean, the Gibsons, you know, Papa Bell. I mean, you're talking about Monty Irving, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays. And there's still a debate I see. I mean, I look at Satchel Page's pitching record. I mean, in the Negro Leagues, 110 and 60. This, this guy had, um, what, an unbelievable amount of uh, complete games, 2.36 ERA. Um, and there's still a debate whether he was the best pitcher ever in the Negro Leagues or was it Smokey Joe Williams? Well, you know, there were a lot of great pitchers in this league. And, and even, you know, because the, the, the statistics are not as readily available, right. it's hard to quantify it just with the statistics that are being kind of gleaned from some of the box scores that they've gotten from some of these Negro League games. But, I, you know, Smokey Joe Williams was outstanding. But I tell people all the time, there'll never be another Leroy Sancho Page. Now, there are guys who may be just as good, but there was no one better than Leroy Sancho Page. And for me, when you look at the longevity, when you look at the great stuff, and then you look at the charisma, nobody compares. You know, when Sancho Page would ride into town and the entire town was shut down mm -hmm. to see him do his thing. And even when he gets to the major league, and this is whether he was 42 or 52, because we're not really sure just how old he was right. by the time he gets there, he's still winning at the major league level. So keep in mind, he goes 6-1. and one. His rookie year with the Cleveland Indians in 1948 with a 2.4 ERA at age 42 which again means he was likely closer to 52 years old. Now, the old man had the stuff. And, and, uh, and so there's nobody quite like Satchel Page. So let me ask you this. Um, obviously, the big day in history, Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Although he broke the color barrier, um, he wasn't necessary, and tell me your opinion on this, Bob. He wasn't necessarily the best player in the Negro Leagues. Now, I think he only played a year, if I'm correct, in the Negro Leagues. Yeah, but right. he right. was. I one year. Right. And he wasn't necessarily the best player. He was, you know, I'm told, and I wasn't born, but from what I'm told, he was the right player uh, in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and when we say that there were others who were better than Jackie, that is not to disparage Jackie. Right. Because as you well know, Jackie Robinson was one of the greatest athletes in American sports history. Correct. He was a four-sport star at UCLA, and baseball was his weakest sport. Yeah, he was a much better basketball, football, track athlete than he was baseball player, and he turns himself into a Hall of Fame caliber baseball player. But it speaks more to the immense talent that 
that was there in the Negro League. But Robinson, with no doubt, was the right man to be the first. He had what I like to refer as the intangible that better prepared him to deal with the racial hatred that he would be confronted with. He had been a celebrated collegiate, an all-American football player at UCLA. So he had some cachet surrounding him. So he's college-educated. He had served in the military. He was disciplined. And, of course, he would become married to the beautiful Rachel Robinson. And so he's stable. And so all of those attributes would be called upon to deal with the racial hatred that he would be confronted with. Now... You know, people look at the accomplishment of Jackie Robinson, which was incredible, a great athlete, and you think about how difficult it is, first of all, just from an ability standpoint and skill standpoint, to play in the major leagues. Um, but, you know, the mental aspect that he also had to play with on top of playing, you know, baseball every day, when you think about it, it's just amazing, and you know how much of this game is mental, and for him to be able still to play at that high level with all the racism, all the hate, all the injustice, is just more amazing than it is to have the ability to play the game, isn't it? Yeah, these were nowhere near what we would call normal circumstances, because when, when Jackie Robinson took the field with the Brooklyn Dodgers, he was called everything, but as my mother would say, but a child of God when he walked out there. And, and when he would slide in the second base, he would oftentimes come up wet where the opposition had spit on him. When the opposition spit in the second base, they came in Spike side trying to cut it. So they did everything imaginable to break Jackie, but Jackie would not break. And then you throw in the fact that Jackie wasn't playing for Jackie. He was literally carrying an entire race of people on his shoulders, 21 million black folks. So had he failed, an entire race of people would have failed. That's an enormous amount of pressure for any one man to have to bear in a game, as you well know. It's a, baseball is a game of failure. It is predicated on failure, and he cannot fail. Uh, because if, if he fails, a race of people fail. And, and, so, and how he did this with such grace, class, and dignity is absolutely amazing. Now, let me ask you this, Bob. When Jackie broke into, you know, the color barrier, it wasn't long before the second uh, Negro League player came over, Larry Doby, and then, you know, years later, you know, of course, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays. Were you surprised... Um, when, when after the color barrier was broken, were you surprised that, you know, I think the Negro Leagues officially ended in around 1960. Were you surprised it lasted that long after the color barrier was broken? Well, and, and really the only reason that it lasted that long is that the teams in the Midwest were able to hang on because they weren't surrounded by major league teams like they were out east. The eastern-based teams almost folded shop instantly. Yeah, because what you saw was that black fan base that had been so loyal to Negro League Baseball 
they left to go see Jackie. They left to go see Larry Doby because there's a natural curiosity now. They had been waiting to see how their great black stars were going to fare now that they had an opportunity to play organized baseball, as it was being referred to. They're in the major league. And, and so without that fan base, those Negro League teams had to fold shop. And, and again, the fact that they were able to hold on to 1960, but really after 1955, Negro League baseball was minor league at best. Uh, because you had now siphoned off really many of the best stars. They had moved on into the major leagues, or they could still bypass the Negro League and go right into the major league, minor league system. And so you didn't have a replenishing system to make up for the loss of talent that the Negro Leagues were losing to major league baseball. Now let me ask you this. If you look at today's game, and it just surprises the you-know-what out of me that less than 8% of the players in Major League Baseball, you know, are, are black. Less than 8%. Now, you look at football, over 68% of the players are black. So it's not that the athletes aren't out there. What, is, what do you think, in your opinion, is the issue with Major League Baseball attracting black baseball players? I think at some point in time, there certainly became a detachment between the African-American community and the game of baseball. And, and I guess, you, you know, there's some of this is socioeconomic in nature. What you saw early on was that all the stadiums started moving to the suburbs. And, and so there was no public transportation to get fans out to those stadiums after they started moving to the suburbs because you had that density of population right there in the heart of the city. And so slowly but surely, African-Americans started to fall out of love with this game. And then you can also see the rise of the other sports, basketball and football, as you just referenced. And, and so our sport, which was essentially a blue-collar sport, has now become a country club sport. It is quite expensive to play this game because, unfortunately, the days of sandlot baseball, and it hurts me to say this, are a thing of the past. Now, if a kid is going to play baseball now, it is going to be in an organized capacity. And the league fee, the equipment, having to play on travel teams to be seen, the specialization with pitching coaches and hitting coaches. Man, I know people who are damn near paying college tuition for their child has priced a lot of urban kids out of this sport. And so it's incumbent upon organizations like the Negro Leagues Baseball Reserve in partnership with Major League Baseball and the Players Association to try to try to do everything we can to bridge that economic gap, to introduce urban kids to this sport early on and in hope that they will fall in love with the game and that they can grow and be nurtured in our sport. And, and so, yeah, we've got some work to do. But the other thing that we have to also remind ourselves, and this is the thing that we're not very good at in our society, and that's being patient. Yeah, we are pretty much a microwave society. We want to see things happen instantaneous. Baseball is not an instantaneous sport. No, and I tell people all the time, the thing that you love 
about baseball is its tradition. The thing that has hurt baseball is its tradition. And, and so baseball has become increasingly more savvy of how it markets its stars to create the appeal that's necessary for kids to have an interest in wanting to play this game. You know, when they see basketball and football, there's the lure of instant wealth. Uh, baseball is that slow process to get there. Now, the reward is great once you get there. But, you know, it, it, it's the minor league and it's bus ride and, and it's bad food, the whole nine yards. And, and so that doesn't always appeal. But, again, we have to introduce this sport early on in hopes that kids will fall in love with it and then stick with it. And, and again, we've got to find ways in which baseball can create scholarship opportunities. The thing that hurts our sport is that there are basically no full-ride scholarships. Even a major Division One program, that the full-ride opportunities are minimal. And so when my child has an opportunity to get his education paid for, in full with basketball and football, chances are I'm going to steer him that way. So let me ask you this. We're talking to Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum. Um, do you think, you know, we just saw what, a, the past couple of months, you know, owners and players bickering, arguing during time where the world is going through lots of injustice, uh, COVID-19, just to name a few things. Do you think the game of baseball, the way it's going right now, Bob, is in trouble? No. You know, baseball will always have to do things to make sure that it keeps its fan base. But I just go back to something my, my friend Mark O'Neill would say. You can't kill baseball. Now, baseball is going to be there. You know, obviously baseball is concerned about the millennials and Speeding up the game so that in hopes that millennials will, you know, pay the game more attention. And I have this conversation all the time with them. Man, if you if you give me something I want to see, I don't care how long I'm there. If you give me something I want to see, but this home run strikeout game that we play now is not that appealing to a lot of people. You know, we want to see movement. We want to see people stealing bases. But that's the old school nature in me. But no, baseball's gonna be fine. You know, this country needed baseball, and baseball was coming back at a perfect time, uh, at a time when it was really needed. And, and, and I'm so proud of what we're doing with the Negro Leagues Museum there in partnership with Major League Baseball with our most recent effort called Tip Your Cap. And the groundswell of support that we've seen uh, for this grassroots call to action to pay tribute to the history of the Negro Leagues, 100 years since its birth. But this has been great for the game of baseball. For the, for the very reason that you mentioned, coming, you know, going and dealing with the pandemic, and then dealing with social unrest in this country, and all of a sudden, here comes the winning spirit of the Negro Leagues to galvanize people around a common cause and to celebrate just how great
And it's amazing, like you said, that the timing of this 100th anniversary, I mean, you know, you don't want to say you picked, it, it, it was a great time because nobody wishes this on anybody, the injustice or the COVID-19, but the timing of it, like you said, is definitely perfect. Now, let me ask you this as well, Bob. Um, you know, we talked about getting African-Americans back into the game of baseball. What do we got to do? And, 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 you know, it's all the professional sports, but, I want, you know, I know we're talking specifically baseball to get, you know, more managers, more coaches, more executive positions. You know, I find it hard to believe, for example, in the NFL, that 68% of a league could be African-American, but you're telling me after they retire, these individuals are not, you know, have the ability to be a coach. I, I, I would just say that's ludicrous for anybody to think that. What do we got to do to get them more involved in these executive and management and coaching positions? Well, you know, I hope that we'll see an increase in that executive role. Because I think once you can get that, you can start to work the system to make sure that people are getting opportunities. You know, I don't think anybody wants to be handed anything. Right. You know, because of the color of their skin. But they don't want to be denied because of the color of their skin. Correct. So it seems as if the finish line continually moves. So you say, well, we need you to be an offensive coordinator in football in order to take on this job. Okay, now become an offensive coordinator. Like I'll find offensive coordinator here in Kansas City with Eric the Enemy, and he still doesn't get a job. Right. And, and he and he's a, he, he's the offensive coordinator for the most high powered offense in all of the NFL. And not that we wanted to lose him, I'm glad Coach Benemy is still here because I'm a Chiefs fan. But he should have had an opportunity, you know. And, and so we know that there are inequities in the hiring. And that starts with ownership. That starts with ownership. So ownership has to really make sure that they are creating the opportunity truly for the most qualified candidates to be in the job search. And I'm just not convinced that that is happening. And, and so, and it's their team. They have every right, I guess, to hire the people that they want to. But you're right. When you've got a workforce of almost 70%, Yet your head coaching jobs are not going to those folks, and they're qualified. They're qualified. Yeah. So you see guys being recycled in these sports. You know, they lost somewhere, and they went somewhere and lost, and they still get jobs. And, and so, yeah, there, there's definitely a problem there that certainly needs to be resolved so that, again, that the playing field is level so that you just have an opportunity to compete. You know, and I know all of these African-American potential head coach candidates, they don't want anything given to them. But they do want a fair chance to compete. Yeah, and I and they should. And you're, you're absolutely right. Before I let you go, Bob, why don't you tell all our listeners, because we got listeners from all over the country, actually even out of the country, um, now that the museum is back open, number one, tell them how they can get information on the museum, and what are the current, now that, you know, you're back open again, what are the current hours of operation so that if they want to come now that it's open again, they can come visit? 
Yeah, and particularly from your neck of the woods, it's a, a reasonably short drive to Kansas City to come and speak the Negro League Baseball Museum. You can learn more about the museum uh, on our website at www.nlbm.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NLBMPrez, P-R-E-Z, uh, to be updated on what's happening in and around the museum. Because of COVID-19, we did reduce our normal hours, so we go into sessions now. We have a morning session that goes from 10 to 1. We shut down for an hour. We do all the necessary sanitizing to make sure that we create a safe environment for our team as well as our patrons. And then the second session is from 2 uh, until 5 o'clock, Tuesday through Saturday. And then Sundays, we're just one session, noon to 4 o'clock. And so all of that information is online at our website, has the protocols and requirements in order, you know, to prepare to come visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But as I said, we've been back open two weeks. I've been pleasantly surprised at the number of people who have come out to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And, man, it's just been great to have life back in that museum. Now, can they get tickets online, or do you have to get them at the door? No, you can purchase your ticket online, uh, but you also have the option where you can buy them at the door. We always encourage people to buy the ticket online just because it helps create minimal contact. You know, like everybody else, we're just trying to eliminate as much contact as we possibly can just to keep people safe. But you certainly can buy the tickets at the museum. All right. Well, Bob, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart so very much for coming on Frankly Sports, uh, Speaking Sports tonight. I really, really enjoyed having you as a guest. Man, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, you know, in any time. All right, and be safe, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. That was Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Baseball Museum. Unbelievable, believable guest. Loved having him on the show. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left in the show, and we got a little contest going on today for those of you listening to us. I named a couple of players earlier that I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, those were... Now, I didn't name every single person, okay? I And we did not include the players that were on PEDs. Not that I don't think they should be in the Hall of Fame, but just for argument's sake, we kept them out. Okay, three of the four players I identified, and I wanted everybody else to go ahead and guess the last one. I said Thurman Munson, the seven-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, 1970 Rookie of the Year, 1976 made AL MVP, won two World Series. That's one of them. How he's not in, I don't know. Then we talked about Gary Sheffield. You know, usually that thresh mark of 500 home runs gets you into the Hall of Fame, but it hasn't done that for Gary Sheffield. And number three was pitching sensation with over 3,000 strikeouts and just a dominating pitcher at a time where Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, CeCe Sabathia, and all these great pitchers out there were pitching is Kurt Schilling. So now I want to see if we can get this last one. Okay, also I want to remind you all why we talk about this last one and I give some more hints. You can interact with this show. I want to welcome Jim from St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida. 
Jim, thanks for joining the show, buddy. And Craig, all the way down in South Tampa, Florida. All right. So we got people making comments now. Go ahead, leave a comment. If you want me to answer a question, we'll do it. Or in the last 13 minutes of the show, you can call in. We got a call in line. It's 479-553-7008. That's 479-553-7008. Any sports question you want, we can talk about. Go ahead and do that. Now, this Hall of Fame guy that I want you guys to guess, I named, these are the hints I gave already, okay? He's a two-time World Series champion, played three decades from the 70s to the 90s. He played for five different teams, okay? The Angels, the Brewers, the Blue Jays. I will give you one more of the five teams. The Cincinnati Reds. He was a three-time Gold Glove Award-winning right fielder. Seven-time All-Star. Led the league in batting average twice. And had a lifetime batting average of 290 with 339 career homers. Also won the National League MVP. I can't give, there's only one more hint I can give, and you'll get it. So, as of now, one more time, played for five different teams. Let's see who can get it right. Five different teams. Angels, Brewers, Blue Jays, Reds. I'm not naming the fifth team. That'll give it away. 339 homers, 290 batting average, NL MVP, seven-time All-Star. One of the most feared sluggers who played right field. Two-time World Series champion. I don't see any guesses yet. So we'll wait and see if anybody can get that right. If not, in the next five minutes, I will give the last clue. And I think we'll go ahead and have people get that right. Want to remind you all, we got another great, great show for you tomorrow night. For all you baseball fans, we have, especially Tampa Bay Rays fans, we have the great Neil Solons on tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. Neil Solons from the Tampa Bay Rays is going to be joining us live. We'll talk Tampa Bay Rays baseball the outlook for this 60-game season, the unbelievable depth on this team, not only in the infield and the outfield, but this just this amazing, amazing, amazing pitching staff. And we're going to talk about the Rays in depth tomorrow, but I also want you to remember that the Tampa Bay Rays are playing 40 games versus the AL East, and they didn't make it easy on the interleague either because the other 20 games are versus the NL East. That means they're going to be playing the Atlanta Braves, who won their division, the Washington Nationals, who won the World Series, the New York Mets, who are much better, and they got Pete Alonso. And I'm going to tell you something. And I'm saying this, I just tell you all to be cautious. Look out for the Marlins. The Marlins are a young, scrappy team. And anybody that knows anything about youth when it comes to baseball, confidence breeds success. I'll say that again. Confidence 
breeds success. This team starts out on a run, they can be very scary because they have nothing to lose. I mean, you know, I remember when Derek Jeter first got over there in Miami, everybody was like, this guy's a jerk, he's getting rid of all these great players like Azuna and, you know, Real Muto and, uh, you know, Yelich and all these great guys. But what he's done there, he's built a great young nucleus of a team. Now, are they there ready to go to the playoffs and win their division? No. But they're not a slouch either. This team has the ability to win games and scrap out wins. And I think you're going to see this team surprise a lot of teams. But look at the teams the NL East got to play as well. If you're in the Eastern Division of the country and you're looking at your schedule, you got to hate it. You got to hate it. I mean, look at the Rays, for example, in Tampa Bay. They got to play the Yankees. They got to play the Red Sox. They got to play the Blue Jays, who is another young team, uh, just like the Marlins, that is going to be outstanding in the future. You got the Orioles. Then you got the Phillies the Mets, the Braves, the Nationals, and the Marlins. That is a heck of a, heck of a tough schedule. I mean, so, you know, for you Tampa Bay Rays fans, we'll talk to Neil tomorrow, and we'll get his uh, outlook on the 2020 season, the depth, the transactions we made, you know, um, the acquisitions of Yoshi, uh, and Hunter Renfro, and some of the other players on this team as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Then for all of you Buccaneer fans, this Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, switch over to Crew Life. That's it. Crew Life right there. Want you to go ahead and switch over on Sunday night. The great coach Marvin Bell does his own Bucks Talk with Coach Bell show. That's 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Crew Life. If you're not a member of Crew Life, no big deal. You go to Crew Life, but remember something. It's C-R-U-E. That's how you spell crew and then life. And you go ahead, join it, and you'll be able to watch the great Marvin Bell. Uh, Jim is mentioning Phil's D. Bryce to earn his money. You know, and he does. But you know what? You know, Bryce Harper, you know, it's kind of, it was just, you know, karma comes back sometimes to kick in the butt. He leaves the Nationals, and instead of the Nationals folding, what do they do? They win the World Series. Now, they got a better manager as well this year. Remember that, Jim. Uh, they got Joe Girardi. And one thing about Joe Girardi that a lot of people don't know, he's very good with the younger players, especially the younger pitchers. And I think you're going to see the Phillies now have that leadership that they've been lacking. And I'm not knocking, you know, the Kaplers or whoever the heck the coaches have been. But I think you're going to see a different team under Joe Girardi. Number one, his leash is short. And what I mean by that is, no, he's not in trouble. But he won't stand for his pitches, you know, giving up a lot of runs. Joe Girardi will pull his pitches in the first inning if he has to. He's not afraid to make decisions. He's been to the World Series. He knows what it's like to win. So, you know, you know, yeah, Bryce Hopper is one player. He happens to be one 
big player on that team, but they need the people around him also to come through. They need that pitching staff to come through. They added, I believe it was Zach Wheeler from the Mets. They signed him to a nice contract in the offseason. So, you know, the you know, it's anybody's game in the NL East. And I tell people, don't, you know, the Braves are picked to win that division, and rightfully so. The, the, the Braves did lose Josh Donaldson, but, you know, they added some great power there with Travis Dionode at the catching position, Marcelo Zuna, and I'll tell you what, that Azuna guy can hit the baseball. So, you know, don't be surprised if he hits, well, he won't hit 30 home runs this year because it's a shortened season, but I wouldn't have been surprised if the season played out the whole year, if he would have got 30 home runs. So definitely, definitely, um, I think the Phillies um, definitely are definitely in it uh, this upcoming year. It's anybody's game in that NL East. And don't count the Mets out either. They Even without um, Syndergaard, they still got a good pitching staff over there in New York. Their bullpen's terrific. Um and then they also got, you know, Stroman. I think they got a Watka now, Porcello, DeGrom, Mats. I mean, they still got a decent pitching staff. Now, they're losing a lot by losing Syndergaard. But there would have been a lot of teams hurting a lot more if they lost a Syndergaard-type pitcher. But the Mets still have some. You remember, Porcello won the Cy Young uh, not too long ago. So, and everybody knows Strom, um from uh, the Blue Jays, um, Marcus is unbelievable. So it should be an interesting, interesting battle in the NL East. Now, yesterday, our winner of our contest was Alvin Pitts. Alvin, uh, you need to contact Rob Thompson uh, from Crew Life, and he has a special gift for you. Uh, instant message him, and he'll let you know. The last clue. To guess who I should think in the Hall of Fame. Listen to these stats, guys. I'm going to give, listen to this. 339 home runs. 290 batting average. 1978. I gave the year. NL MVP. Seven-time All-Star. Three-time Gold Glove. Twice led the league in batting. He played from 1973 to 1991. He was a right fielder. He played for the Angels, the Brewers, the Blue Jays, the Reds, and the last team that I didn't say, the Pirates. So there's the five teams. He was one of the most feared sluggers of his era and a two-time World Series champion. We got two minutes left. I'll give you all another minute to see if anybody can get it right. If not, I will tell you who it is. But for this individual not to be in the Hall of Fame is probably one of the biggest disgraces out of anybody that's not in the Major League. Some people will argue about Pete Rose, but, you know, we know that's a trouble situation. Although I think Pete should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, uh, all these guys, Mark McGuire, I think they should all be. But we're not talking about that, you know, era tonight. Okay, I don't have an answer. I got 15 seconds, and we'll reveal the answer. The individual who should be in the Hall of Fame, for some reason that has been left out, here's all the final statistics. 
339 homers, 290 batting average, 1978 MLVP, 7-time All-Star, 1973 to 1991 he played right field for the Angels, Brewers, Blue Jays, Pirates and Reds, one of the most feared sluggers of his era, two-time World Series champion, I knew him as the Cobra, Dave Parker. Dave Parker, how that guy is not in the Hall of Fame is besides me. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to thank our very special guest, Bob Kendrick, for joining us tonight. What a great, great, great interview. Want to remind you all that we will be back here on the same channel, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, tomorrow night with Neil Solons from the Tampa Bay Rays. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Everybody have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports.